there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome another episode a beautiful monday episode of baseball barbecue the only podcast on the ringer podcast network with more home runs than willie mays i'm jake mince that's jordan schusterman it's me hello hello Hello. yes uh how many of those home runs did you hit jake uh, uh, what's the split here between our undetermined number of, of total home runs this is like when you know like hank aaron and his brother have the most home runs for yes. siblings of all time and his brother yes. has like five exactly. four home runs right and i have 755 uh welcome to this episode we are very excited uh for this here podcast because we have a wonderful special guest his name is jason benetti he is the voice of the white Sox, the best team in the american league and i cannot wait for you guys to hear us talking to jason about it because jason is the best but jake vince we have a lot else that we have to talk about before we get to white Sox chatter uh and let us begin with Alec Mills throwing a no-hitter on Sunday afternoon. And I want to start here because the beautiful thing about the sentence that I just said is that I think there is, unlike any no-hitter before, a non-zero chance that depending on the title of this podcast, there is somebody listening that just found out that Alec Mills threw a no-hitter. I think there is a chance that this is a no-hitter, not only that is the most anonymous because of who threw it, but because of when it happened during week one of the NFL season, during an NBA playoff game that is never a issue for baseball in September. <laughs> first and day of Premier uh, Premier League Sunday. First day stage of 15 soccer. of the Tour de France. Exactly. There was a lot going on, but amidst the chaos that is this year, 2020, Alec Mills threw a no-hitter. Now, I want to be very clear that our takes about anonymity regarding Alec Mills and my upcoming uh, facts and figures about why this no-hitter was incredibly lucky uh, do not and should not take away from the wonder and the joy that Alex Mills and Alex Mills's family uh, got to have yesterday. This is an incredibly cool moment. There are really two types of pitchers, right? That get to have no hitters. There's aces, people who get no hitters and and throw no hitters, and we're like, yeah, like Justin Verlander did that. Like, oh, Max Scherzer did that. That's a something for the trophy case for them. That's just another cool thing. And then there are guys who we'll never hear from again like the Chris Hest- the Chris Hestons of the world, right? Where this is the thing that we'll remember them for and they'll have that for the rest of their lives and that is fucking cool. Oh yeah, it is it is really cool. And uh, again, I I think, you know, in the last few years we've gotten some discourse in the the analytically inclined community of which we consider ourselves a part of to some degree, which is basically that like no hitters are amazing and cool, but like how impressive are they really? I think what we've noticed really, because now when there are fewer balls in play than ever and batting averages at an all-time low, the actual accomplishment of of having a no-hitter is very impressive, but it is not the same as a perfect game. It is not the same as some as striking out 20 or you know, some other pitching dominant performances. And what I would say to that is while I agree with it, I don't fucking care because I 
don't work for a baseball team that might need to acquire or not acquire Alec Mills, right? Like the level of impressiveness to me is pretty much irrelevant because it, what happened was cool and fun to watch and entertaining. And like, if we're stacking up Alec Mills against the Max Scherzer, no hitter, obviously one was a better pitching performance, but like, so what? Yeah. And like, Think, think about this way, and, and maybe this is going to be some of what you're about to get into here. But yeah, what else happened uh, yesterday during uh, Sunday slate? Brad Keller of the Kansas City Royals threw a complete game shutout against the Pittsburgh Pirates. In that game, Brad Keller struck out two and walked one and allowed five hits, but he did not allow any runs. He went the the, the, the distance. It was nine innings. They did not allow a run. Okay, and if you look at the batted balls of the game, he allowed ten. Hard hit balls in that game. Still complete game shutout. Mm. Alec Mills allowed 11. Allowed, allowed 11. And now, sure, you might say, oh, well, Alec Mills struck out five, but he walked three, whatever. The point is, is that the difference in how impressive those two starts were were probably very similar, but no one gives a shit that Brad Keller no threw one. a complete game shutout no yesterday. One. And that's fine. And that's how it should be. ESPN is not tweeting out, oh, my God, Alec Mills, historic, no hitter. Like, no, of course, even if it was the same level of impressive performance. And that is fine. We should celebrate uh, what Alec Mills did. And as you always say, if baseball, if the players themselves give a shit about it, which they clearly do, that no hitters are still every bit as special and important to the actual players as they are to the fans, then it is important. And you could tell how much it meant to him yesterday. And you make a good point, right? Like, is the Brad Keller performance as impressive? Probably, yeah. But like, I'm not tuning into the last two innings of Brad Keller you're not tuning in, and people who care less about baseball than we do are not tuning in, and it's that simple. All right, Jordan. Going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about this no-hitter. I love this no-hitter because of how non-dominant it was. Over the last, I would say, I think this is the last five years, Jordan, we have had 19 Uh, Sorry, we have had 18 no-hitters, okay? One of them, one of those 18 does not have StatCast data, and that is the Walker-Buehler-Dodgers combined no-no in 2018. For whatever reason, the StatCast data was not there that day, so I don't have those numbers. I apologize for that. But of the 17 other uh, no-nos we have had, Alec Mills allowed the most hard-hit balls of any no-hitter, 11, and had the fewest swinging strikes of any no-hitter, Five. Okay. The average number of hard hit balls of those, I guess now it's 16 no nos because I'm taking Mills out of it. The average number of hard hit balls allowed is basically around four. The average number of swinging strikes that you get is around 18.75. It's like 19, and he had five, uh-huh. right? So those, right. he, by a lot, like it's a oh, huge yeah. difference. He's the only guy to allow double digit hard hit balls and the only guy to have single digit swings and misses. And to put it in perspective to the other no hitter that we had already this year, the Lucas Giolito one, Giolito had 30 <laughs> swings and misses and two hard hit balls, right? So these are the polar opposite ends of like the dominant spectrum of a no hitter. Again, it didn't make it any less entertaining. It almost oh makes it more entertaining totally. when the Brewers are just smoking the shit out of the ball every two minutes. And as we've had already, not, I mean, of course, we had the Giolito one. We've had other no-hit bids. 
broken up late. We saw Kenta Maeda. We saw Brady yeah. Singer uh, a few days ago, which was a very exciting one. And and a great thing about those ones um, is that sometimes, you know, it's it's a regular hit up the middle. You know, the one with Brady Singer was a, a hit to right field that where a, a, a second baseman would normally be positioned, but because there's always these crazy defensive positioning in 2020, it's like, oh, well, that's unlucky. But if you watch the Alec Mills no-hitter, so many of the outs are because of perfectly positioned defense, yes. including the last one to Javi Baez. Um, I saw a stat that he did not throw harder than 91 miles an hour the entire game, Amazing. which is a great, which is why he probably ends up not having as many swings and misses. But you're so right. Um, again, none of this is to discredit. In some ways, it, it makes it more incredible. And you know who else understands that? Alec Mills himself, who as a freaking college walk-on at Tennessee Martin, who's the only major leaguer ever from Tennessee Martin, 22nd round pick. Like you can hear all those background stories and that's amazing. Like Alec Mills never expected to throw a freaking no-hitter in the major leagues. Right. And when he goes out there too, he's not even the kind of pitcher that can even expect to throw a no-hitter. Whereas when DeGrom, when Scherzer, when Kershaw, even when they go out there, they're like, yeah, I'm going to throw a no-hitter today. Like that right. is the goal, right? Alec Mills can't do that. Alec Mills yeah. is trying to throw six quality innings, and he happened to throw a no hitter, and that is incredible. That's great. I, I I just I'm looking at this this these numbers, and it's so funny because every other no no, you have more swinging strikes than hard hit balls, every single one, right? Right. Except for his. Like, and if you look at the guys who have the most dominant ones, it's not a surprising list, right? Oh, for sure. Cole Hamels, three hard hit balls, twenty seven swinging strikes. Scherzer, two hard hit balls. 27 swinging strikes. Giolito, two hard hit balls, 30 swinging strikes. Verlander, three, 23. Like, that's how this works. And Alex Mills is not that guy, but that's okay. It, it's it's like you said, it's as wonderful. And this is up there for me in terms of weird no-nos with the Edwin Jackson one. And I will remember it for a long, long time for different reasons. But the anonymity of it makes it memorable in a super roundabout way. I will say the last thing I'll, I'll say on this before we move on uh, to a guy a little bit more likely to be in the Hall of Fame than Alec Mills. No offense, uh, Alec, um, is that, yes, this Brewers offense is one of the worst offenses in the league. And yes, they pinch hit for Christian Yelich at the end of the game so he didn't have to face him again. But you know what Alec Mills didn't have to do in this no hitter in the National League is face the freaking pitcher. Mm. And <laughs> when I went back and I was watching some old no hitters, uh, this morning, and I'm watching some National League ones, and I'm seeing Edinson Volquez striking out Randall Delgado in his first career plate appearance, and I know that that's <laughs> only one or two of the at-bats of the game, but, like, my goodness, do I not miss pitchers hitting, and my goodness, even when you're facing a shitty Brewers lineup, it's ever all the bit more impressive to get through a no-hitter and not have to face an automatic out, um, and that is uh, to Alec Mills' credit, so cheers to him, very cool, um, and, you know, it's also amazing that he did it before Kyle Hendricks, who I don't yeah. think has one. Does he have a no-hitter? If he did, he does have a no-hitter. Okay, well, there you go. Um, does he? I don't know. Uh, but it's, that, that, That's it's good podcasting thing. right there. For the next 40 <laughs> minutes, you're going to listen to Jordan being unsure as to whether or not Kyle <laughs> Hendricks has a no-hitter. All right, I believe he does. Okay, Jordan Schusterman. Yes. Albert Pujols. Who? Al who? Oh, Albert Mike, Pujols. Mike Jones. No, Albert Pujols yesterday hit a home run uh, to tie Willie Mays on the all-time home run list at 660 home runs. Holy shit. Uh, 660 home runs is such a preposterous number. 
Um, obviously, we've been tracking this for a few few weeks now. He had gone 93 plate appearances without a home run, which was his longest homerless streak since 2014. Albert Pujols, of course, we know he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. He's currently in the second to last year of his Eternal Angels deal. He is 40 years old. He is not the player he once was. And he's basically going up there trying to hit a home run because the Angels suck and that's all he should be doing, which is good. He finally did it. He hit 616 course field. And it was just a great reminder of like, it is such a ridiculous number. And when they put up, oh, look, here he is, top five. Here's Barry Bonds. Here's what a, what a list. Yeah. Here's A-Rod. And it's just like, man, it is so inconceivable. And we talked about his double plays last week, and but we talked to also about the home run race and whether anyone playing nowadays could ever get to Barry Bonds, let alone Albert Pujols at 660. And it just takes an unbelievable kind of player and unbelievable amount of longevity. So hats off to you, Albert. I don't know where you're going to end that, but amazing. I've expressed my belief that current Albert Pujols is somehow slightly underrated because his ability to literally just go out and play baseball every day with how his body is and how old he is right now is a feat of epic proportion. And, you know, he's not going to get to Bonds, and that's fine. And I think I, in some ways it it makes this less exciting, but it doesn't make it less impressive. And this is like the opposite conversation from what we just had right yeah well also uh i saw someone asked him after the game like oh like now you're thinking about a rod at 696 like not too far away and albert was like no that's that's far away like (laughs) that is far away that's 36 more homers for you know 10 more whatever 50 more games this year and then whatever the hell next year is um that's a lot and for a guy who's averaged about 20 for the last five years um that is probably out of reach yeah. but the fact that he's going to he's going to obviously pass Mays at some point hopefully this season um and that is uh, amazing and i think too for a guy where like okay also like if we're talking dudes with no steroid you know ac- yeah. accusations like he's going to be number 3 on the list <laughs> so so that's pretty freaking incredible um so I, albert is uh is very very special i also want to for a second, talk about him doing it in Coors Field. Mm. Yeah. So Albert Pujols makes his big league debut in 2001. And at the time, Coors Field is like this super flashy new ballpark, right? Coors Field built the first year. It was 1995. The Rockies played in a different stadium for two years, right? And so Coors Field, when he makes his debut, is only six years old. In that time, Jordan, I, if my numbers are correct, I believe there are 10, 11, 12 new National League ballparks have opened during Pujols' entire career, okay? PNC and Miller open in 01, the Reds, the Padres, the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Marlins, and the Braves. So I guess that's nine. Nationals. And the Nationals. 10 parks have opened in his career. That's nutso, dude. That's crazy. And him hitting it in Coors was like, because Coors is the third oldest National League ballpark, which is like super wild to think about, right? And the idea of Pujols in Coors and like him aging in like alongside Coors in this weird way. And I don't know. There was something that felt very odd to me about such a historic homer happening there. And you see, if you look at the home run logs of the greats who have 600, 500, 700 home runs, 
um, the reality of playing over all those new parks opening is that Albert has homered in 38 different ballparks. <laughs> okay, so he has 12 in cores, and he's got a homer in 37 other ballparks. And, and he could add to that. That maybe right. could be 39. Like, I... I'm not sure if he had one in Texas this year, but like there's, he's going to probably keep adding to that list next year, that's, which is pretty incredible. That's a funny list of guys, right? Dudes with more homers, like ball, homers in ballparks more than 30. If you go above 30, like you're in a freaky, freaky space. So Albert Pujols, we tip our cap to you, the eternal machine. The machine may not run as well as it used to, Jordan, but it it gets you there sometimes. All right. From one machine in the American League West to another machine that has, for the moment, broken down. Matt Chapman of the Oakland A's getting surgery. He will be out for the rest of the year. And this is a big blow to the Oakland A's, who are currently the best or the second best team uh, in the American League, losing their best player. Yeah, they're be- their best player. Can I say that again with some more, fur- with some more confidence? <laughs> yes. Losing yeah. their best best player there you go there you go that that's that's the the what the intro Matt Chapman deserved yes uh Matt Chapman having hip surgery and in a season now where I mean look Oakland's in pretty good shape I'm not worried about them like losing uh the the, the AL West or anything but Matt Chapman is a, a gigantic part of this team not just because he's pretty good on offense but he's the kind of defense that like that is a big deal to not have. And I know they signed Jake Lamb, and we are generally Jake Lamb fans here uh, on Baseball Barbecue. Jake is shaking his head. I'm a Jake Lamb fan. I'm a Jake um, fan. You're just a Jake fan. I, so I'm Jake, and I'm a Lamb fan. I do think it's my favorite fan. meat. I see. Jake, I see. comma, Lamb fan. <laughs> so he's going to be signed. But obviously, it's not like he's been any sort of all-star over the last few years. So that's just kind of trying to fill in. So losing his defense as much as losing uh, him in the middle of the lineup is is a big deal. And like, I just, they're just not, it's just, for a team now that Chris Davis is, as we've talked, Chris with a K is, is not the same guy. There's just fewer guys in the lineup now where I'm like, holy shit. And Marcus yeah. Semyon has been hardly as good as he was last year. So it's just not as scary of a team. And it's kind of that simple. Um, I yeah. am I am hesitant to not believe in Oakland. I <laughs> have the, learned right. my lesson over the last handful of years that this team, even when they lose Matt Chapman, like, is it going to be bad for them? Yes. Are they worse than they were a week ago? Yes. Do I think that they're just going to plug in Jake Lamb and he's going to hit 300 the rest of the year? Absolutely, I do. Because Oakland just has this magic and they've done it time and time again. And I mean, I I think it's less likely they go deep in the postseason, but they'll be there and they're going to win games and like they're still going to be the Oakland A's that we know. And I, I am most bummed out that like Matt Chapman is the type of baseball player that I want people to know more about like that. I want my non-baseball fan friends to know about and like him being on a big stage in the postseason is great. Uh, and he won't get to do that this year. So, yeah, no, but I, I agree again. I don't think it's going to affect them that much. Maybe it'll affect their seating, which may end up hurting them. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but speaking, I will say though, um, you know, this is a good transition to, to our guest here. Because I think right now they are second or barely tied with Tampa uh, for the the third seed, second or third seed in the American League. Uh, yeah, so they're right behind. They're right behind uh, Tampa Bay. Um, and once we get closer to October, we will actually start analyzing the matchups. But right now, 
uh, Jake Lamb and Vimael Machine and Tommy LaStella, whoever the hell's playing third, is going to have to help the A's chase down the Chicago White Sox. Mm. It's the first freaking place Chicago White Sox. Oh, my goodness. And who better to join us to talk about the Southsiders than Jason And the guy who talks about them literally more than anybody else, their broadcaster, Jason Bennett. Calling Jason Benetti, studio microphone, flag of Italy, cut of meat. And we are now very excited to welcome in the voice of the best team in the American League, Jason Benetti. Jason, welcome to Baseball Barbecue. What's up, guys? I didn't bring anything. Is that okay? It's extremely okay. Totally there are fine. so many, there's so many people that could show up to this podcast in disarray and just like in just you know rude and like bad time like you could do so many terrible things and i'd still be so thrilled to be talking to you jason i hate you all right great to all right let's roll here. through that is that, <laughs> is that is that something i could do and still be welcomed i was just wondering i was just checking yes. to see yes don't the push bar the limit is so the bar is so much higher jason uh jason benetti you have had an interesting 2020 as have all as have all of us of course um but you have gone in a matter of months from broadcasting our stupid backyard baseball games on twitch and kbo games at three in the morning to calling the games for the best team in the american league uh how you doing uh i am feeling uh rewarded <laughs> for 2020 no i uh, it has literally nothing to do with me that the white sucks are hilarious and fun and amazing but boy, is it entertaining to just go to the ballpark every day and see what sort of hijinks are in store. Also, home runs. Uh, I mean, it's like you go down 3 nothing, and it's, it's not a problem at this point, which is amazing to say for somebody who in like 10 years in the minor leagues had one winning team as well. Wow. So I'm sort of like, there's like a little William H. Macy, the cooler going on here, which I don't appreciate, but I'm very glad that the Sox are playing great baseball because not only like, do we enjoy dingers, right? Like we like dingers. That's great. But like Eloy Jimenez is hilarious to watch. And Jose Abreu is like the dad who now has a kid and is like really super fun and you didn't expect it to happen. Like, wow, dad's good at Nintendo. I didn't understand that that could be the case. Uh, and then Luis Robert does amazing athletic things every night. I mean, it's, it's constant joy watching this team. What is your single favorite part of it? Because there, like you said, there's so much. No, no matter where you look, there's good baseball things happening to entertaining baseball people, which one thing gives you the most baseball joy about the 2020 White Sox? Uh, it is Tim Anderson and what he has become as a baseball player, uh, especially at a time when we have a lot of conversation about people being evaluated in a certain way, right? And so like when you have a black player, I mean, there, there's, the, there's the book, The Undoing Project, where there's a conversation about Daryl Morey uh, making sure that he uses cross-race comparisons when he talks about people in scouting departments in, in, with the Rockets, right? So Tim Anderson, when he came up, was like a toolsy athletic guy which is a thing that you say about people who are toolsy and athletic, but it happens to be said more often about black baseball right. players. Uh, we know that for, for a fact. 
Tim Anderson is one of the smartest baseball people out there now. His studying and his understanding of the game and the way he attacks pitchers, like as we're taping this just yesterday, he inside outed a two-seamer to right field that, I mean, he said in a post-game interview, he's like, a lot of people are throwing me two-seamers now. I had to figure out a way to handle it. Well, I mean, he did. You know, in 2018, he loses one of his best friends in the world because of gun violence. Tim had a pretty dark year. He's talked about it. 2019, he wins a batting title, and some people are like, well, you know, I'm not, he won a batting title, but will he? And now he's in line to possibly win another batting title. Whatever you think of batting titles, winning two isn't easy. It's not like stamp collection. So <laughs> for me, Tim Anderson and what he has become and what he does off the field for kids in Chicago who grew up with less and what he does to inspire people to love baseball, the Royals did a really dumb thing last year to wake that sleeping giant up. And I love that every day he pays off the belief in him for the people who believed in him that day with Brad Keller. And it continues to grow. I love watching it on a daily basis. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Royals because... uh... Just saw a stat this morning that they're 500 against everybody and one and nine against the White Sox this year. So, <laughs> so that should give you a sense for how the White Sox treat Bro, playing team, the Royals. Teams care. Like Tim Anderson cares. I bet whenever he plays the Royals, and I mean, Jason, you can speak to this even more. Like, he's like, fuck these guys. <laughs> I like that this is a podcast and we can say that because yeah. when I said that, when I said that word about Tim Anderson, they bleeped it out last year when they put it on the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, my feeling is it's like, it's, it's much less about the Royals. Cause I think he does right. have that in him, but it's, it's like somebody did something to Tim Anderson that stirred greatness. And I love seeing greatness bubble to the surface of people when it's not expected. Like that is the glory of humanity that we're watching happen. Like Tim should be a center fielder. Nope. He's a shortstop. <laughs> Well, Tim's just going to be a toolsy guy. Nope. He's a really smart baseball player. Well, he's not going to, you know, he'll never hit for average. Nope. He hit for the best average. Beat it, everybody, in your opinions. Right. Uh, I also think Tim, like, plays a fascinating role in this team because there are so many leaders on this team. We'll talk about Jose Abreu in a little bit. But they brought in Grandal. They brought in Dallas Keuchel. They brought in, you know, and James McCann has obviously served to be an extremely important part of this team. And so you have so many different leaders that represent so many different parts of this team. And that's what clearly makes them have so much fun playing together. Would that be fair to say? It's 100% fair to say. I mean, we're what, like six, seven minutes into a podcast about the White Sox and we have not mentioned the guy who threw a no-hitter. <laughs> right. Like, he just has not popped up on the radar yet. It is every day there's a different guy stoking the fire, not with an RBI double, but with like a, hey, let's go do this as a team sort of scenario. There is very much, and I just, I wonder quite often if this would be the same in a year where there are fans in the stands. There is much more of like a Little League, guys in the backyard, uh, Benny the Jet sort of feel to the White Sox going out every day. And we had it in summer camp. And I just, it's a constant feeling for me that it's a lot of guys who love playing baseball. And that brings me a smile every time one of those moments happen. That's something that I, I, we've talked about on here. And, and I've really thought to be true 
in the games with no fans, they're they're playing for each other more than ever before. Like, not that, of course, we wish there were fans there. And of course, they know that there are millions of people watching on TV. But it feels like the teams that are the most cohesive are having so much fun. The Cubs are another great example of that, I would say. Um, but like the White Sox are perfect. The Padres, like the teams at the top now, you can tell are so, so, so close. Um, which I think people were wondering if that would even be possible during a pandemic because they can have the same normal interactions. But clearly, once they're playing, it's like, this is the best time of the day. Um, yeah. And and who knows what's going to come out of their minds and their athletic builds. But like post-game the other night, Eloy Jimenez, on the way out, I asked him, like, when are you going to get Luis Robert to let you catch a ball? And his response was, well, I don't know. But if he drops one, I'm going to beat his ass. <laughs> he said that on television in our post-game interview. And we lost it. And now when Luis makes a catch in front of Eloy, I say to Steve, well, you know, if he drops it, what's going to happen? <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, I, I, there's so many different directions we go with this. You mentioned we haven't even brought up Giolito yet. You got to call a no-hitter. You got to call a back-to-back-to-back-to-back home run uh, barrage. What's uh, more against- fun? Which yeah, of we- those two was more fun? <laughs> The, the home runs would have been more fun with fans in the stands. I actually think no hitters with nobody in the stands are super interesting on a human level. Like watching Giolito, and you guys know Lucas really well, like watching him in, in his like sort of gangly way bob up and down and crush Red Bulls in the dugout. Yeah, it, I mean, like, I don't know if people are going to see if this is an audio podcast, but Jake just did a perfect... Lucas Giolito bobbing sort of situation. And goodness gracious, was it entertaining just to watch like the focus. And you know his focus. Like when we were streaming his games on Twitch in the the show league, I would ask him a question and he'd be like mash and circle and like barely even hear me, even though he's the one who invited me and was like, let's do a Q&A. And I'd ask him a question and he's gone. He's just gone. So for me, knowing that focus... It was super entertaining to yeah. see this all build. Also, Lucas, as we all know, because we are friends with him and he's the nicest person, when he's not pitching, he just looks like a dork. Like when he <laughs> like when he's bottomed down the dugout, and that was the great part of any no-hitter, and we just saw this with Alec Mills, was like watching the guy in the dugout towards the yeah. end. And it's just, it's so funny. It's like how Michael Phelps would like bump into stuff when he wasn't swimming. <laughs> Yes. Yes. That's a great call. It absolutely is. And you're like, you are a high achieving athlete whose body (laughs) is like very well tuned. And you just ran into a chair. (laughs) Right. That's that's Lucas. That's Lucas. And and we love him for it. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm glad we bring up Lucas. He's obviously been marvelous. There's so many parts of this offense that have been been amazing. Um, But I I do kind of want to stick on the pitching here. I know Dallas Keuchel is a little bit injured, but he has been fantastic when he has started. What is, I think when people look at the White Sox as like a legit contender, they see oh this amazing lineup and 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 they have a, a shockingly sort of anonymous but great bullpen. But they are going to have to have multiple pitchers in these postseason games. We assume Lucas is going game one. We can assume Dallas Keuchel postseason proven going game two. Let's get to game three here. Whether it is in that weird first round or in the second round or in the you know the DS or the World Series, whatever. Who is this third starter? Because I think that's what some of the skeptics might be saying. Who's going to be starting that game three? Because it yeah, can't it, be Mark Burley. It can't. Yeah, I don't think Mark Burley's coming back. So who, who do you think it could be? I don't ever count out Mark Burley. 
to be honest. Like he could spin the hits until he's 55. I feel like, like just, just go out there and twirl and throw like 50 pitches in 42 minutes. Uh, so my thing is, I think, I mean, right now, how it shapes up, it would be Dylan Cease. But Dane Dunning has made an argument for going out there and throwing four or five innings. Like he throws strikes, man. Like I, I think you can make an argument for Dane Dunning at this point as well, considering what he's been and what he's become. I, so I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think in terms of strike throwing, you'd want Dunning. In terms of like cold, hard stuff, you'd want Dylan Cease. And I do think Dylan is well equipped with his like stoicism on the mound. Like I've jokingly called him Marcus Aurelius. Uh, because he's just like out there and just staring off into space and taking it all in, philosophizing. I think he's equipped to do this in the postseason mentally, but I do think Dane Dunning throws more strikes. So it would be it would be very interesting to see how the Sox handle it. Now this is a team also they've not used an opener really. So I you know I you I see Cody Hoyer's stuff, and I think like that might be super interesting for two innings to start a playoff game just because he's got that sinker is demonic, man. So I, I, I would guess cease just because the socks are, uh, might go in rotation, but I don't, I don't, you could argue for Dunning and you could argue for an opener. I'm going to ask you an absolutely stupid question. Yes. And you can choose how to answer this in any way you want, obviously, but how many hall of famers are on this white Sox team? Oh, wow. Right now. Dude. That is super hard. And this is one of those things that like, Bobby, your producer, there's going to be the pull quote, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, check like- out what Jason Benetti said about <laughs> who's going into the Hall of Fame in the White Sox 2020. <laughs> then all the Cubs Jason- fans are like, see, I told you, he loves these guys way too much and he thinks they're great and they ain't won nothing yet. Jason uh- Benetti guarantees Matt Foster Hall of Fame induction. That's yeah, man, that quote. change up, like... <laughs> That Alabama kid. Keep working for the next 25 years. No I doubt. love me some Matt Foster. Yeah, no, we do like Matt Foster. I like when Ricky Renteria fosters the people because the people don't like it very much. <laughs> so I think, wow, this sucks. Jake. I know. It's, a, it's <laughs> um, an inflammatory <laughs> leading no, question. Oh, man. It's like, this is Jake, not, what's this... the over-under? Jake, what's the over-under? You're looking at these names because I'm looking at these names and I love a lot of these names. But I don't know if you know, being a Hall of Fame is really hard. So, like, okay, great example for all the White Sox fans listening out there. How fucking incredible was Paul Canerco? Not even close. So, no. <laughs> so, so and Burley. Like, the Sox Burley, fans think Burley. closer. And, you well, know, yeah. Perfect game, no hitter. We would put Burley in. We're we're yeah, very we're, we're, pro put in Burley. If you put in Jack oh. Morris, you have to put in Burley. <laughs> yes. Indeed. I should have crushed a beer before I came on here in honor of Burley. But I I think <laughs> I think talent wise, you gotta look at Luis Robert as a possible Hall of Famer. I think home run talent wise, you gotta look at Aloy Jimenez as a possible Hall of Famer. I, I and, I know you know, that's say, ridiculous to say. I know no, that that's ridiculous to say. But, but like, but talent-wise, just sheer right. talent, sheer right. talent. Those guys for sure. And I think you know, if Tim Anderson keeps piling up batting titles like they're Pringles in a can, stacking them vertically in the corner of his house in the suburbs, like I would say Tim's on that list too. 
I agree. And I mean, once your mean Mercedes really gets some more time, I would imagine. Okay. Be- All okay, right. Sorry, so this sorry, was sorry. a trap. This was a <laughs> no, trap. No, no, That's fantastic. No, no, no. You're so, Jason, you're so right. And I think if we're ranking here, let's let's play this game because we love all these players. We ha- again, I haven't even mentioned Lucas. Sorry, Lucas. Let's maybe yeah, get a dude. couple of Cy Youngs there. Bro, okay. Rocket League, man. <laughs> Rocket, Rocket League Hall of Famer. Let's let's uh let's rank. I okay, in my head, the most <laughs> the most likely at this moment right now is Luis Robert. I think that would be who I would pick as the most likely at this moment. And even still, he is, um, he is 43 games into his major league career. So, <laughs> so let's, let's relax. But hey, I, what's, I love- the, what's the lowest games played number for a hall of famer. Do we know that? I don't know that offhand. Maybe it's we can pull that Kofax. up at the end of the episode. Probably Koufax. Yeah. Yeah. For non-pitcher, non-pitcher. I, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Ready for my take? Yeah. Yeah, please. Jose Abreu. Put him in. Jose Abreu for his accomplishments in Cuba, in addition. <laughs> but to then his Mini Minoso's got Mini Minoso's got to well, be in right now, though. Like, Mini Minoso right. needs to be in right now anyway. He is the, the single. Way, I think Mini Minoso is the single biggest omission from the Hall of Fame. I by the way, the by the way, we have not even mentioned the guy with 422 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know Edwin just got to the, to the south side, but like, hey, he might get to 500 homers and then, oh, maybe. Uh, okay, I love this. I love I, this line of question. I want to apologize, Jason, for asking such a stupid question. <laughs> I knew it would uh, lead to a stupid answer, and that was exactly what I wanted. I appreciate it. No, like, I'm happy to do stupid. I'm wearing an Italian beef shirt to the podcast. So, like, I have no shame. I'm happy to play your game. Uh, Jason, I have two more questions for you. But Jake, go ahead. I feel like I was getting interrupted. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just kind of curious where the fan base is at right now because, you know, in the first year of a team being good, there's this weird sort of grace period where no one gets mad yet. In the way that, like, the 2015 Cubs, it was like, oh, my God, this is happening to us. Like, and there's, a, there's not as much anger, whereas the second time around, like, all right, the stakes are real. Do you feel like the fan base is a little more, I would say, whimsical than on edge at the moment? Uh, when this team was 1-4 and four, losing to Minnesota and Cleveland, there was a dearth of whimsy, I will say. Uh, <laughs> we had a whimsy shortage. So I do think, I think there's a little bit like, hey, we waited our turn, get us a winner. And like now we, like we deserve it. I think there's a little right. bit of a we deserve it for all the people that hung around when it was really difficult. Uh, I do think the grace period was over after five games. I mean, Max Kepler homered on Lucas's first pitch of the year. So Sox, remember. Fans, Sox yep. fans were like, look, we waited months for this. And I get it. I totally understand. And then it was like, man, we miss baseball. We miss baseball. We miss baseball. Whap, I hate you. I hate all of you. I hate everything. Trading and I get back it. for Adam Eaton. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need grindy. Like, we got to be more grindy. So... My thing is, like, I don't think the grace period is the same, but I also do believe if the Sox were an early bounce out of the playoffs, people would say, look, there's, there's four or five years of greatness on the way. I do think Sox fans completely comprehend that. I also do believe that on days when, like, just yesterday as we're taping this, Jonathan Stever walked a couple guys in the first inning of his Major League debut, and we were like, you know what? It's one inning. Let's see what happens. Then he retired 10 in a row or whatever it was after that. Uh, but in the first inning, 
there were a lot of people yelling at the television screen. And I think it was because the Bears were down too, like Matt Stafford was carving again. But my deal like, is that there is not a lot of like, eh, give it a day in the Sox fan base. And I get it. I really do get it. It's been a rough go for, for years. But I also think that the grace period is smaller right now. But but they do see the long term as well. I'm not painting okay. Sox fans as bad people, but like, no. look, I I grew up, I grew up on the south side of Chicago for eight nine years before we moved to the suburbs. And there's like there's a lot of like, hey, that burly guy, I love. He's a bum. He gives up a hit, and it's like he's a bum. And that that's just the way it goes. I like uh, Jordan. You're wearing your Mariners hat, and I don't feel like in Seattle there's they're as quick to the he's a bum button. Certainly, certainly not when it's been Jordan is the opposite. <laughs> Jordan will unbum bums. Oh, yes, I will defend the bums as long as I can. Uh, Jordan, do you have baseball Stockholm syndrome? <laughs> yeah, honestly, at this point, kind of, but I, I don't hate it. Hey, game and a half back at Houston. Anyway, uh, Jason, I have one uh, final question for you. Who is... There's so many parts that like, we knew Luis. I mean, look, we didn't, maybe we didn't know he was going to be this good this quickly, but like we were anticipating it. We saw Tim Anderson be awesome. What has surprised you about the uh, 2020 White Sox? Maybe it's one individual player or one facet of the team or the pitching. Give me a name or something about this team that has actually surprised you this season. Surprised me in that I didn't expect that they were able to do it or didn't know enough about the person. Like, I think Cody Hoyer, I'll give you two. Cody Hoyer, for me, is a revelation in the bullpen. With Aaron Bummer out, I I don't think people talk about that enough. You lose Aaron Bummer, who is an eighth-inning lockdown, like, nasty, nasty dude. He got a contract for a reason in the offseason. Cody Hoyer, for me, has a lot of stuff, and he throws strikes. Like, I'm a huge Cody Hoyer fan. Go Wichita State, like, the whole deal. But I also think Nick Madrigal and the balance that he has provided this offense, it's a lot of swing and miss in there when you have a lot of power, right? Um, So Nick Madrigal, there's there's balance with him. And I started calling him Nicky Two Strikes the other day because he's got 10 hits with two strikes already in his major league career. Like... He he is just such a good, capable bat. And I love that he showed up. Like, you talk about circumstance and timing. It's like Astadio and Luisa Rise, in in a way, with the Twins. You show up as a contact guy on a power lineup, and people revel in you. If you're a contact guy in a lineup that doesn't hit home runs, it's like, oh, well, here comes Nick. He's going to single. Well, we need that. Like, we need two strikes. With like the, the balance there for him has been remarkable, and for him to do that in the majors in his first year and be such a good two strike hitter surprises me pleasantly. Also, I think I don't think anyone's paying any attention to Madrigal right now, and I know that because that profile is not as sexy, and I get that. But like for a top five pick who was like one of the most famous college baseball players, like. I have heard nothing about him, um, and that's fine. Like that's 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 okay. Like he doesn't need to be as hyped as 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 Lou Bob or whatever. But um, man, it's he. I agree. That's a great contrast. Jason Benetti, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Before- I actually have a Samsung Lions Kia Tigers game to do, so I got a I got a bolt. I was gonna say, who's your pick in the KBO? Kiwum, uh, Kiwum Heroes, uh, Jung Hoo Lee. Uh, to me, is 
the best player in the league people don't talk about. Uh, he's the best player in the league who isn't a foreign-born player, and he's going to play in Major League Baseball. I love the body type. I love the way that he swings it. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of his, and I think Kiwoom, uh, and as we're talking, they had tied, to, and the Dinos lost in the game we did the other day, so there's a tie at the top of the league. I think Kiwoom's great. They're sold out of the uh, the copper jerseys in the KBO store. I was going to buy one for weeks. I've forgotten to look, but I'm going to have one by the end of uh, the year. Go White Sox. Go KBO. Go Jason Benetti. Literally, go Jason Benetti. Go. Yeah, go it's been away. fun. I have to. I have to leave. <laughs> go Wiz. <laughs> go Wiz. This episode of Baseball Barbecue is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. What if a quarterback completed four out of five of his passes or a point guard hit four out of five of his shots behind the arc or a major league hitter hit 800? Well, now when you're hiring, you can play at that level because four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And today you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BBQ. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for the right candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter's AI scouts talent for you. First, when you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right skills and experience, and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BBQ. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash BBQ. ZipRecruiter.com slash BBQ. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, and we are back here at the tail end, the caboose of this podcast. Jordan, this is usually where we do Sorry for Your Mentions, where we sift through the mentions of a team that is struggling and we chuckle and giggle at some of those tweets. Uh, I was planning on doing the Houston Astros here in a edition of Kind of Sorry for Your Mentions. However, I noticed that the mentions when the Astros lose, and boy, they have been struggling a little bit recently are very different than other teams. Other teams, you see a lot of the their own team's fans complaining about what's going on. For the Astros tweets, it's just memes about trash cans. And that doesn't surprise me. But I was a little surprised by the absence of, like, outward frustration on the part of Astros fans. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this dynamic. I think uh, this is this is twofold. One, the Astros uh, continue to be, um, you know, the target, the number one villain of the league, no matter how their season has gone, where, which has gone haywire in a lot of ways, a ton of injuries. The team barely looks the same. They're barely hanging on at 500. They're not that good. It doesn't matter. Everyone's going to hate them. We saw it this weekend. The Dodgers, literal fans in person welcoming the bus to Dodger Stadium with trash cans and signs and everything. They're flying banners over the freaking Dodger Stadium, like when, you know, airplanes, everything. So, so that is, we knew that coming into the season, but it is interesting that like, they are just such an unbelievable target of internet abuse. And I guess in person, uh, uh, you know, booze that it it is just drowning it out. And I, I wonder how long this will last is, I guess, kind of something that I'm wondering. Cause I, once we uh, hopefully have fans next year, the fans are going to be booing the Astros just as much. They missed the chance this year. So it's going to happen again next year for sure. But, yeah, I just find it interesting that like 
you know, no one's like, oh, get rid of Dusty Baker or like, hey, this team sucks. Like, how is this happening? It's more just like, well, I guess we're going to take our medicine this year and then can get back at it next year. I think the other point that I would make is that through this whole process, Astros fans have become defensive to the point where they spend so much energy defending against other teams that like they're not going to go and be like, why did you bring in Humberto Castellanos in the eighth? Like, because they're so focused on defending the honor of their favorite baseball team that like that yeah. energy is not worth spending also dunking on their favorite baseball team, which is what 29 yeah. other fan bases are doing. Yeah. Um, so I feel true. like that's a big part of it. If you are interested in this segment, uh, just go check out the uh, Cleveland Indians mentions because they've lost six in a row. So <laughs> if you, you want the spirit of it, you can go check those out. All right, Jordan. Uh, our favorite teams. It's time to talk about them in a segment we call Bias Ball. Bias Ball. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles and the Seattle Mariners both had notable weekends. The Orioles played the Yankees four times. We talked a lot about it on the last pod. I was excited. The Orioles were gearing up to shock the world only a game and a half back. And then they got absolutely swept four in a row. Pop, 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 one, two, four. That's four bops, four losses, uh, and they're done. I will talk about them quickly, and then you can talk about the good Mariners. The Orioles' valiant, heroic losses. They got blown out once. The offense didn't show up. The pitching did. I was very impressed by it. And uh, again, I'm me and Orioles fans are fine because the idea that the Yankees are better than the Orioles is not shocking, and we were ready for this. And the fact that we had any glimmer of hope at all was enough to brighten my day. Jordan, how are you feeling about the Mariners? I'm I'm feeling good, and, and I think that's a totally respectable way to, to stand by it. And remember, we started this season wondering if they were going to get to 10 wins, and they're at 20. So all you haters can suck it. <laughs> that is true. And the Baltimore Orioles, Jordan, we had talked about how at the end of the year, I am going to do, uh, for the final Orioles game, a watch party alongside uh, you and maybe some other folks. Uh, where I will consume the number of beverages as Orioles win games. And at the beginning of the year, we thought this number was going to hover around 10 to 15. It has become very clear that this number is going to be between 20 and 25, which is a really startlingly large amount of drinks that I do not want to consume. So we're going to have to figure out how the hell we're going to handle that. Uh, maybe people can come on and help me out. But that is still a thing I plan on doing. What a healthy way to spend the day before uh, Yom Kippur, uh, which oh. is what that will be. All right, uh, let's talk about the Mariners. <laughs> let's talk about the Mariners, um, who won a series this past weekend against the hapless Arizona Diamondbacks, and now enter this final stretch, a game and a half behind the Houston Astros for the second spot in the Amazing. American League West, which, by the way, is relevant because they're not chasing the Yankees or the Blue Jays, right? They're not chasing the Yankees or the, or the Twins, right? The There's no card, way yeah. they're catching those. And so if they if they somehow do this and pass the Astros and get second, they won't be the seven or the eight. They'll be the, they'll be the five or the six, which is just crazy. But okay, how do I feel? Do I think they actually have a chance? Not really. Uh, I am also, like Jake, very thankful for the level of competitive baseball that they have given us, that they have given me um, for uh, this season. Um, like Jake said, they have had games where they look terrible. 
And they have games where it's like, oh, look, they actually are building something here. Here are players that are going to be good on the next good marriage team. That's great. Uh, they have a very, very difficult stretch remaining. Um, they play uh, a doubleheader today against Oakland. Then they've got San Francisco, San Diego. That's probably not going to be fun. Houston, which will be an interesting series, and then Oakland again. So it's not like it's going to be easy to get through this stretch. Um, but, but there's hope, as, baby. There's, there's, hope. there's hope. There's hope. They're trending in the right direction, which the Orioles are not. And that makes me feel like uh, maybe that they could do something special. Now, I will say last point for the people saying they should call up Jared Kelnick for this. Uh, no, it's not going to happen. And it'd be stupid. So, sorry. I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> all right. That is it. That is bias ball. Uh, Jake Mintz, let us wrap up here uh, with a moment of joy, which we always do. Um, because I want to tell you about the story of Shirtin Apostle. Mm. Are you familiar with Shirtin Apostle? And if you're listening and you think I'm saying something that is not the name of a baseball player, I'm just going to say it again. Shirtin Apostle. What Jordan, do you know about I him? am not familiar, so you might call me shirtless. <laughs> okay. Shirtless with an E. Lo- love that. Okay. Uh, Jake Mintz, Shirtin Apostle made his major league debut over the weekend for the Texas Rangers. Uh, Mr. Apostle is the 16th player from Curacao to ever make the major leagues. He uh, came up in the Pirates system, was traded to Texas in the Keone Keller deal. Now, what made this uh, debut significant? There have been so many major league debuts this year. Of course, I've been tracking them, and these these have been the subject of many moments of joy. But this situation is what the one of the Rangers general, uh, assistant general managers said, the craziest transaction he has been a part of in 20 years. The Rangers were playing the A's in a doubleheader over the weekend. After the first game, Anderson Tejeda, another good guy who made his major league debut for the Rangers this year, had basically a tummy ache and was like, I feel terrible. I cannot play in game two. Elvis Andrews, who is having all kinds of back problems, he's been hurt this year, and was like, I cannot play in the second game anyway. And so the Rangers, with 30 minutes to go, with no notice, had to find themselves a third baseman. Fortunately, they were at home. They decide, we're going to call up Shirt and Apostle who is one of our rookies at the alternate site. Now, fortunately, the alternate site is across the street at the old stadium. But unfortunately, they had been done for the day working. So Mr. Apostle was sleeping at his apartment about 10 miles away. The Apostle was asleep. The Apostle was sleeping. They call him. He doesn't answer the phone. Okay, Again, this is 30 minutes before the game. They basically had to call him and like call him 50 times. He wakes up from his nap. They say, you are making your major league debut in 30 minutes. I'm going to pick you up. Their GM goes and picks him up. He basically just Wait, who gets picks to, him up? Uh, the assistant GM. I don't think it was John Daniels. It was one of the- They didn't like get him a car? <laughs> no, like someone, someone drove, like one of the baseball ops guys drove to his apartment and said, get in the car, drops him off. He like calls his mom and says, hey, I'm mom, I'm debuting in 10 minutes or whatever. <laughs> he gets to oh the park, says, just throws on the baseball pan, uh, you know, uniform over what he was just wearing, basically. Um, and then he makes his major league debut. He makes his, he he records an error in the first inning, uh, which was not a good inning, but it's like, he was napping 45 minutes ago. Like, of course he made a freaking error in the first way he was going to make. He gets his first big league hit. Um, and just one of the craziest call stories I've ever seen. Uh, so cheers to you, Sharon <laughs> Apostle. I hope you have a long major league career, but it is certainly one of the craziest beginnings That's uh, great. that I have ever seen. So thank you for sharing. There you that. go. Yes. Uh, all right. I think that is all we have. Um, thank you to Jason Medini for joining us. Thank you to Jake Mitz, uh, as always. Thank you to our producer, uh, Bobby Wagner. Uh, one final thing that I wanted to mention um, before we uh, close here uh, is I wanted to send uh, my condolences and our condolences 
um, to the family of Charles Peterson, a Cardinals amateur scout who passed away uh, over the weekend uh, from complications due to COVID-19. Um, playing baseball during a pandemic is very unsettling and TV and just not fun. And we know that this is going to happen and that people in the baseball world are going to be impacted. Uh, this is a guy who, by all accounts, is one of the most popular uh, scouts in the entire baseball world. Uh, he was a first round pick himself by the Pirates and has been with the Cardinals uh, for the last 10 years or so. And in fact, signed their first rounder this year, Jordan Walker. Um, very, very, very sad. I know some people that are very close to Charles Peterson and just wanted to send uh, our condolences to him because uh, it's real, man. This is a real virus and you don't really know how real it is until it's hitting someone close to you. And um, we just have to hope that we can get this under control. We talked about this like before the season started of like, how do you cover the season, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time it's just like, this is crazy. Right. And then we could, we run through it. And like, I personally, like the last three or four weeks, I've barely, I really have not watched that much baseball as this has, like, I, I have found it hard to, to get riled up about the sport. And, you know, we come on here every week and we, we want to make people passionate and make people love it and engage people with it. And stories like this of like the, you know, lives, like people's lives, people's families, right? People's loved ones. And I don't know. I I wish I had a more eloquent series of words to say here, but I, like, it's just fucked, man. Like, it's just so fucked. And it's so hard to like care about Alec Mills like genuinely care about Alec Mills throwing a no hitter when people are dying all the time, all around us. <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. I feel you. I feel you. So just wanted to mention that. Um, condolences to the Pearson family. We will talk to you guys on, uh, on Thursday. Have a good week. 